Um, so today's reading is from John chapter 9, um, and it can be found on page 1075 in the Pew Bibles. And you might want to keep your Bibles open as well for the talk. So that's page 1075, chapter 9. Jesus heals a man born blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. And then we're going to move forward to verse 35, where it says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Thank you, Catherine. Please uh, uh, keep your Bibles open if you can. So, Helen Keller. Helen Keller, uh, she was born in Alabama uh, back in 1880 in the US, in the state of Alabama. Um, and at the age of just 19 months, uh, she was afflicted with, a, with an illness. We think it was scarlet fever, um, but desperately, sadly, um, she w- uh, ended up becoming completely blind and completely deaf. Now, you can imagine what that means for a, 19 year, a 19-month-old baby. How would she communicate with the world? Nevertheless, Helen Keller uh, went on somehow to learn how to read Braille. And not only how to read Braille, to learn how to speak and also how to write. She went on to, to publish several books and to lecture for the American Foundation for the Blind. She was an author, she was an activist, and she was an educator, and she had a lasting impact, a global impact, uh, and changed perceptions of how blind and deaf communities were seen across the world. 
And one day, Helen was asked this question. Helen, isn't it terrible to be blind? Isn't it terrible to be blind? And her response was this. Better to be blind and see with your heart than have two good eyes and see nothing. Better to be blind and see with your heart and have two good eyes and see nothing. And these words of Helen are a great introduction to the major theme of this chapter, chapter 9 that we're looking at today uh, in John's Gospel. Better to be blind and see with your heart than have two good eyes and see nothing. So this morning, I pray uh, through God's Spirit, He would open our hearts uh, to, to, to speak to us this morning, personally, each and every one of us. And, uh, and we're going to do this, uh, we're going to explore this passage by looking at two different groups. Um, there's actually three different groups, but we haven't got time for the disciples and their questions. Um, uh, but one of the groups is the man himself, who was born blind and received his sight. And the second group is the Pharisees. Now, we don't know much about uh, the man, we don't even know his name, but we have, um, uh, we have this account of him not only... Uh, sort of receiving his physical sight, but also his spiritual sight. And then we have the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, who though they possess their physical sight, it becomes increasingly clear through this passage that they are, in fact, spiritually blind. In verse 39, we read these words of Jesus, and do keep your Bibles open. Verse 39, Jesus says this, For judgment... For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And although he is speaking to the man who has just completely uh, had his physical sight, we can't even say restored, because he, he, he never saw before. It's the first time he's ever saw in his whole life. So he, he's completely healed this man. Jesus was, in fact, speaking here in verse 39 of a deeper truth, that of spiritual blindness. For judgment have come into the world so that the spiritually blind will see and those who physically see what may well remain uh, uh, spiritually blind. And the Pharisees got this. The Pharisees got this because they were listening in on Jesus' uh, conversation to this man. And they say this, what are we blind to? To which Jesus replies this, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now you claim you can see your guilt remains. Your guilt remains, which indicates that spiritual blindness actually brings us under the judgment of God. As Jesus just spoken, for judgment I've come into the world. Now, none of us, none of us want to remain guilty before God, and that's why we need the cross. And so, as none of us want to remain guilty before God, we need to ask the question as follows. What are the marks of spiritual blindness and how can we have eyes that are open to Jesus? What are the marks of spiritual blindness? And how can we have the eyes of our heart open to Jesus? And in this chapter, we see not one, but three marks of spiritual blindness in the lives and attitudes of the Pharisees. And the first is this. The Pharisees were blind to the truth about themselves. The Pharisees were blind to the truth about themselves. 
Now, chapter 9, which Catherine uh, read the the beginning and the end of, um, gives the full account, if you read all of it, and I encourage you to go away and read that middle section, which we had to skip over because of time. But the the whole chapter gives the full account of Jesus' healing of a man born blind, and then the, the interrogation by the Pharisees of the man who was blind and received his sight. And then uh, they interrogate his family. Then they interrogate the man again. Then they kick the man out. And then Jesus goes seeking for the man. And then you have this conversation exchange at the end, both between Jesus and the man and Jesus and the Pharisees. So this is what we've had. And the section that we've skipped over, this middle section, describes um, first how the Pharisees interrogate the man, then his parents, then they go back to the man for a second time. And what we see in the lives of the Pharisees in these verses is that they were a group of morally upright and they were very religious. They were, they, were, they were moral and they were religious. They were, they were scrupulously uh, keeping the Sabbath. For instance, in verse 16, they, they really want to question Jesus about the Sabbath. And they're also proud of their religious pedigree. You know, we are disciples of Moses. They very much reflect the Pharisee that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 18 when he tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And uh, in this parable, Jesus uh, says that the Pharisee stood up and prayed, God, I thank you, I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. They were spiritually proud. They, they thought they could make it on their own. And then Jesus tells, the, uh, the, tells of this tax collector who stands at the distance. He refuses to even look up to heaven and he simply beats his breast and says this, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And then Jesus says the tax collector and not the Pharisee went home in a right relationship with God. You see, the tax collector's eyes were open to the truth about himself. He knew that he was a sinner and he needed the grace of God. But the Pharisee, and the Pharisees in this passage, remained spiritually blind to the truth about themselves. They trusted in their own deeds. The fact that they tied this and they, 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 they went to these services and you know, they, they kept the Sabbath. They trusted in their own moral and religious deeds. But, they, but Jesus could not accept them on these terms. Because the truth is, as it says in Scripture, in a number of places, that we have all sinned and all fall short of the glory of God Myself, certainly, all of us gathered here. We all fall short of the glory of God. Yesterday, um, I was uh, at the side of football pitch over at Altwood. Uh, again, that's got a few mentions this morning. Uh, support, so I thought I'd be supporting on, cheering on our elder daughter, Hannah, in her football match. Uh, but they were short of a linesman, so I got roped in. So instead of having a relaxing, you know, cheering on our, our daughter, suddenly the pressure was on. Uh, but uh, here I was, called on to run the line. And uh, early on in the match, um, there, was, uh, there was this uh, pass through and one of the girls was, I don't know, 5, 
10 yards offside, massively offside. You know, the whistle was blowed, and that was it. And then a little while later, towards the end of the second half, this same player um, got, there was a pass that got through, and she was just half a yard, just half a yard offside. And the flag went up, and it was ruled offside. Now, if she, can you imagine if she'd come stopped the match at this point and came over to me and said, linesman, come on, I know I was offside, but I was nowhere near as offside as I was early in the match. Give us a break. You see, it doesn't work like that, does it? You know, if you're offside, you're offside. It doesn't matter how little or how far you are offside. And the same is true for our standing before God. And if we assume that we can rely upon our own efforts and our own deeds, and that will be enough at the end of the day to get us into heaven, then then we need to appreciate that we are all offside. Some of us are only a little bit offside. Some of us are yards and yards offside. But we're all fall short of the glory of God. And there are a great many people out in the world who falsely assume as long as they're not as far offside as that person down the road, then they'll be okay. But sadly, this is not the case. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, now you claim you can see your guilt remains. Because unless we come empty-handed before the cross of Christ, unless we give him our guilt, our guilt remains with us. And so are we blind about the truth of ourselves? Do we come thinking that, you know, I'll be okay, you know, I, I, I do my bit, you know, I come on a Sunday morning, you know, I help out those in need, I occasionally buy a homeless person a meal. If you're relying upon your own deeds alone, if you face Jesus on the last day and he asks you, why, what, you know, why can you get into heaven? If you name your deeds, you're missing the point because no matter what we do, we can't make it our own. We rely upon his cross, his work. We are saved by grace through faith. Because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all need a saviour. We all need to trust in Jesus, no matter how good and upright we should be. Of course, we should live upright lives, but that is always in response to what Jesus has already given us, salvation and freedom. And so the first step in gaining our spiritual sight is acknowledging that myself, I am the chief of sinners, says Paul, and I'm going to rob that phrase off him. Myself and all of us are sinners. Sinners by nature, sinners by choice, blind since birth, and in need of forgiveness. So what are the marks of spiritual blindness? And how can we have our eyes of our hearts open to Jesus? The first mark of spiritual blindness is being blind about ourselves, thinking that I'll be okay. We need to acknowledge our need of forgiveness for the eyes of our hearts to begin to be open to Jesus. And the second mark of spiritual blindness is this, being blind to the truth about Jesus, being blind to the truth about Jesus. The Pharisees had already rejected Jesus. We read this in verse 22, that they had already decided beforehand that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, if anyone acknowledged that Jesus, you know, was the anointed one of God, that he was special, that they would be put out of the synagogue. You see, they were blind to the truth about Jesus. They were screwing their eyes shut. They refused to see the truth about Jesus. 
And what was the truth about Jesus? Well, he made some remarkable claims, didn't he? I mean, you know, just think about you know, what he said even in this passage, just in this one passage. He says this, you know, I am the light of the world. It's quite a bold claim. You can't imagine any of us saying that. Perhaps maybe at the end of a, a long night on a, on a dance floor or something, you know. But like, I am the light of the world. That's a remarkable claim to be saying about yourself. And then what we don't get is this even more remarkable claim when he says, I am the son of man at the end of the passage because we, we, don't, we haven't been brought up in a Jewish culture and the son of man uh, is from Daniel 7 and he's this exalted figure in the history of the redemption of God people. So already just in this passage alone, in this one chapter, he claims two remarkable things about himself. And that's not all. You know, in John's gospel, this is just some of the things that Jesus claimed. He claimed he could forgive sins, which only God can do. He claimed that he could give life, which only God could do. He claimed that he could settle man's destiny, which only God could do. And so he was one of two things. He was either deluded or he was divine. And we must make our choice. We can't say he was a good teacher, he was deluded or he was divine. And not only his claims, but also his character. You know, no one could find fault with him. His disciples lived alongside him for three years and they, could, they, they said he didn't sin. I mean, my family will tell you many ways in which I fall short of the glory of God, and yet these guys lived alongside him. And then, of course, there were the things that he did, such as the healing of a man born blind. Jesus healed the sick. He, he freed people under the oppression of the devil. He cleansed lepers. He even raised the dead. There was a 19th century English biologist. His name was Thomas Huxley, famous scientist. And he was discussing the scientific attitude. The scientific attitude. And he says this. Sit down before fact as a little child. Be prepared to give up every conceived notion. Follow humbly. Sit down before fact as a little child. Friends, these are the facts about Jesus, his claims to be God, his character, his miracles, they all point to the uniqueness of Christ in history. And we are to sit humbly before these facts. But the Pharisees, they refused to sit humbly before these facts. They refused to acknowledge the truth who Jesus was, the Son of God, the promised Savior. And by contrast, the man born blind opened his eyes to the truth about Jesus. And as we trace through this passage, uh, we see that his eyes, bit by bit, begin to open. So, for instance, if you turn with me to verse 11, you know, they say now how Jesus was this man. Where is this man, he says, and the, the, the man born blind says, I do not know. And then in verse 7, he moves from being a man Sorry, verse 17, he moves from describing Jesus as a man to a prophet. And then in verse 33, uh, he tells the Pharisees that he's not just a prophet, that Jesus is from God. And then a few verses later, in verse 38, Jesus tells him uh, that he is the son of man. And this man's eyes are finally fully open to the truth about Jesus. And he says this, Lord, I believe and he worshipped him. 
This was a Jewish man, monotheistic man, and he was worshiping another human figure in front of him. He had the eyes of his heart opened to the truth about Jesus. And so where do we stand in respect to this truth about Jesus? As Helen Keller said, it is better to be blind and see with your heart than have two good eyes and see nothing. Blind to the truth about ourselves, blind to the truth about Jesus, and the third mark of spiritual blindness is being blind to the truth about faith. Blind to the truth about faith. When the Pharisees first interrogated the man born blind, they asked him how he received his sight, and so the man told him what Jesus had done. Just told him what Jesus has done. And then they go away, they question the man's parents, and then when they refuse to give any answers, they go back and question the man a second time. And again, they ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? That's verse 26. And the man replies with the following in the next verse. I have already told you, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too. Do you want to become his disciples too? The truth about faith is that it requires a commitment. That is why this this morning we did not shy away from calling it Commitment Sunday. We are meant to make a decision for Jesus. It's okay knowing the truth about ourselves and the truth about Jesus, but at some point we need to make that commitment that commitment to say, I will follow you. I will be your disciple. I will, I will walk where you are leading, no matter how much it costs me, no matter how costly it is. Do you know the last act? I wasn't here last Sunday. I was worshiping in, a, in another church, went to visit uh, Mark Gould, who used to be a member here. He's gone off to be a vicar over in Marlow. Um, uh, but the last act of worship I led in this church was uh, after the Easter morning service. And after Easter morning, it was just too much to pack into the Easter morning itself. After the Easter morning service, we came back in here um, around about noon, and I led uh, uh, an act of worship called a reaffirmation of baptism vows. There was a, a, a young man who had come, uh, well, a, a man, I, I, I try not to uh, uh, give ages away, uh, who was part of our uh, Alpha course, uh, and the, the, he'd come to a realization about the truth about himself, the truth about Jesus, and now he wanted to make a public act of commitment and become a disciple of Jesus. And so with his family, uh, many of his family weren't, weren't Christians, uh, and, his, and his friends and his connect group gathered here together, about I don't know, 20, 30 of us. He, we had a time of worship. We, we shared, uh, he shared his testimony, and he reaffirmed his baptism vows. In fact, he was, he was christened as a baby, so we believe there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So we don't baptize people again, but actually, as an adult, he come to his own faith in Jesus. And he wanted to take the decision that his parents made, and he wanted to make that public act of commitment himself. And so he said those words that we say in the baptism service, because faith requires a commitment those, those envelopes there are evidence of the commitment that many of you have made today. 
Faith requires commitment, a decision to follow Jesus, to become his disciple. And this was something the Pharisees refused to do. And so we read that they remained guilty before God. But Jesus longs to open the eyes of our hearts to the beauty of his grace. And after the man was, was thrown out of, uh, of, the, of the synagogue uh, by the Pharisees, we went, to, uh, we read that Jesus went searching for him. That is the Jesus that we, that we worship. The man who, who seeks after the lost, the lonely, the least. And, and I believe that same Jesus is seeking after some of you here today. And he wants to open the eyes to, to the truth about yourself, to open your eyes to the truth about himself. And he asks you to take that step of faith to make that act of commitment today. And may we respond as the man did, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So in a moment, we're going to declare our belief and we're going to worship him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and before we do so, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Um, and whether this is the first time of saying that prayer or whether we're reaffirming our commitment to live for Jesus, let us stand and let us pray.